Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, and you are Sunshine Susanna Greer. Hey, Dr. Greer. Hey, Joe Cotter. How are you? I'm pretty good. 70 degrees and sunny. It is a lovely spring day. And so listening to this interview, I was reminded of another lovely spring day. It was four years ago. It was a beautiful, sunny day. And I got a phone call. My brother-in-law, Kim Dong-Wan, passed away from colorectal cancer. He was in his mid-40s. Beautiful wife, young daughter. And um, still think about him, you know? Mm. Listening to this conversation about colorectal cancer screening and really wide-ranging conversation to a lot of promising things happening and, and uh, but it you know talk to your primary care doctor when you're when you're getting up to that age ACS recommends regular colorectal cancer screening for people at average risk starting at age 45 so talk to your doctor but before you do that let's listen to this Dr. Jennifer Weiss was our guest today she is Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology. She's a two-time ACS grantee, including a brand spanking new one on identifying colorectal cancer screening strategies in rural communities. Susanna, she is just a natural-born communicator. I thought she was so warm, colorful. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, Jennifer was great. And Joe, I'm so sorry about your brother-in-law. I think Far too many of us are having those conversations and getting those phone calls, especially around colorectal cancer, which is, as Jennifer reminds us, the most preventable but least prevented cancer. And so part of that is on the individual, right? We need to be screened. And part of that is on the institution or the hospital or the clinic that we would go to to have that screening. And so the second, the latter is where our conversation with Jennifer is focused on is, so some clinics, especially in rural settings, and they're knocking it out of the park as far as enrolling people in colorectal cancer screenings and knocking out of the park, we would mean that more than 80% of eligible patients are being screened. So some clinics are doing great. Um, in the rural setting, and then some are are not. And so the reason we're having a conversation about the rural setting is that your risk for colorectal cancer is greater if you live in a rural versus urban setting. And the thought is that it's it's access, right? So it's how far do you have to go to get that colorectal cancer screening? And is that an impediment? So we talked to Jennifer about kind of the different options for screening. Some of them, like a colonoscopy, are going to take longer than sending in a stool sample, which is going to take a shorter amount of time, but but gives different kinds of um, outcomes. Um, so what Jennifer is doing is remarkable and is so simple. It's just asking, asking the clinics who are doing a remarkable job in screening in the rural setting, what are you doing? <laughs> Talking to them and giving them the accolades and, and really finding out what measures are they taking that are working. So that's piece one. And piece two is also talking to these rural clinics that maybe are not knocking it out of the park percentage-wise in screenings, 
but maybe they are screening a particular population. So maybe there's a particular ethnic group or age group that they are doing a really good job. And so finding out what's working there. And then let's let's make some partnerships and put some of these folks together and have um, some understanding and some outcomes about what really works so that we can get these screening rates up to where they need to be so that um, we can keep the first part of that clause, which is that colorectal cancer is the most preventable cancer and then lose that second part, which is the least prevented. So um, you're going to really enjoy hearing from Jennifer. She's so excited about what she's doing and I'm, uh, I, I cannot wait to read the outcomes of her study. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am doing well. It's a beautiful day here in Atlanta, and I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you today. So if you're ready, we're going to jump right in. Sounds good. All right. So I've, I've done my homework on you, and I love a, a quote that I read from you. Uh, one of the things that you've said is that you recently described colorectal cancer as being the most preventable but least prevented cancer. Okay, so let's start off. Just tell us what you mean by that. By most preventable, um, I mean that we are actually able to identify the precancerous lesions for colorectal cancer, which are polyps, and we actually have screening methods where we can remove those lesions before they turn into a cancer. So colorectal cancer screening is really colon polyp screening. That's really the, the function of colon cancer screening to identify those precancerous lesions and take them out before they turn into a cancer, which is unlike a number of other screenings. So breast cancer screening, um, lung cancer screenings, you're trying to identify uh, cancer at the earliest stage possible. But with colon cancer screening, we can actually find those lesions before they even become an early stage cancer and remove them. Um, and so that to me is one of the most uh, powerful things about colon cancer screening. And when I say least prevented, I, I mean in, in a way that it is extremely common, even with all of these effective colorectal cancer screening methods, it's still the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths when you combine men and women in the United States. And so we have the, the ability to impact many people if they would engage in the appropriate colorectal cancer screening um, schedules for their age, for their family history, for their personal history. Uh, fantastic, Jennifer. So that that is super clear. And I, I love the way that you shared that the way that we screen for colorectal cancer is really different than the way that we screen for other cancers, right? So I've, I've never thought about it in that way, that we're actually trying to, unlike breast cancer, where we're trying to detect it at an early age, we're actually trying to detect it at the point that we can actually prevent it. Right. So very different. Okay, but then you said that despite that, <laughs> despite that, and despite that we have measures, which would be screening, that colorectal cancer, if we combine men and women, is still the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States. So we have a ways to go. Yes. Okay. So then let, let's talk about colorectal cancer screenings a little bit, because if they are such a an impressive tool for, as you said, actually preventing colorectal cancer, then 
who who gets screened for colorectal cancer? So what does that actually mean then to be eligible for that screening? And then maybe let's talk a little bit more about what actually happens during a colorectal cancer screening. But first of all, who might get it? Sure. So I think that's a really good question because it's there there's definitely rules out there and guidelines. However, there's multiple rules and guidelines. And so I think that is a little bit confusing for some um, some patients as well as their primary care providers. So in general, up until recently, we across the board were recommending colorectal cancer screening in all individuals at least by age 50. Um, now that's people who have no uh, specific family history of colorectal cancer or no personal history of polyps that were maybe detected um, at a younger age uh, for, for another reason. But um, most recently, the American Cancer Society has um, recommended that we lower that age to 45 um, for the general population because of an increase in uh, colorectal cancers that we're seeing in individuals below age 50. Uh, and the new American College of Gastroenterology guidelines that also came out this month are um, joining on that bandwagon and recommending lowering the age to 45. And the United States Preventive Services Task Force, the major guidelines that a lot of primary care providers um, follow, recently sent out a, a draft revision for their guidelines, which would also recommend that. So I think the way that things change all the time, a lot of patients and primary care providers have, have trouble staying on top of these recommendations. So at baseline, we say, we, we have been saying 50 and that will likely change to age 45. Now, the other thing that's a little bit confusing is if individuals have significant family history of colorectal cancer, um, and especially the ages at which these cancers were diagnosed or the number of relatives um, and the, the degree of relatedness. So whether it's a mother or father or brother or sister versus aunts, uncles, and grandparents, that also influences when we would recommend someone start their colorectal cancer screening. So that adds yet another layer of complexity on top of um, how to have a conversation with, with patients and primary care providers about when is the appropriate time to start screening for, um, for that individual who's sitting there in the office. Jennifer, it sounds like what you're saying is that we need to be having those conversations with our general practitioners when we're in our mid-40s, when we have no family history and have no personal history of polyps. And then yes. that conversation gets a little more complex if, um, and the recommendations might change if we do have first-degree relatives who have had colorectal cancer. Is that is that fair to say that this just needs to be a conversation that we're having? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I, I think there needs to be two major lines of conversation. So one with your primary care provider, at least by your mid forties. And then at the same time, start having conversations with your family and family members as early as possible about their medical histories so that you're prepared when you go in to have that conversation with your primary care doctor. Okay, so I, I'm reminded, my family always travels to Florida for like summer or spring break and we passed this barbecue restaurant and I absolutely love the signs because it says from the rooter to the tutor we do it all and it's talking <laughs> about like every part of the pig you can find it here so it sounds like 
same thing here applies from the rooter to the tutor. We, because this is a preventable cancer, we need to be evaluated. And I think that the point that you're really sending home for us is that evaluate this in the ideal scenario, which is not what you and I are going to talk about today, that in the ideal scenario, this evaluation, this isn't just a one-time thing. This isn't just a, a snapshot. And then if we get good news that everything's fine, we're good. This is something that we will either need to follow up with annually or every five years or every 10 years. So regardless, in order for us to prevent colorectal cancer, this involves an ongoing conversation and action and screening. So, yes. so let's talk about maybe one side of the spectrum. And that is that we know all these great things about screening and we know that there are all these different possibilities, but does it mean that just because all these possibilities and different kinds of screens exist, does everybody have access to them? So one of the questions that I really wanted to talk to you about was how where you live impacts your access to colorectal cancer screening. So maybe you could talk to us about barriers um, that may exist based on where you live. Sure. So that's something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And where I'm taking my current research is to look at these geographic barriers. Um, because we, so we did find in one of our previous studies that even in a health system that predominantly screens um, their patients with colonoscopy, there's a significant association with um, colorectal cancer screening rates and the distance from where that person's home clinic is from the nearest colonoscopy facility. So the closer that clinic is to, you know, we like to say the mothership or the, the big the big hospital, um, the more likely the patients that attend that clinic are to complete colorectal cancer screening. So we know that there is something with geography and with distance. Now, that definitely plays a role with choosing colonoscopy as a uh, as your screening mechanism. But what I want to find out is I'm assuming because there are some rural clinics in especially in Wisconsin that have very high screening rates. And what my next kind of research program is uh, project is to look at these high performing centers and learn from them and kind of showcase what they're doing and find out how how are you getting these really high screening rates? And is it because you're not focusing on colonoscopy as the initial method of colorectal cancer screening, maybe because their patients don't have easy access to a center that performs a colonoscopy? Or maybe because a lot of their patients are farmers who don't have the time to take off an entire day for the preparation, the bowel preparation, and then have somebody drive them. So there's two people that now have to take time off to go in and drive themselves to the colonoscopy procedure and then recover from the procedure. So maybe that clinic has figured out with their population of patients, they should really be starting with the stool-based tests that are at home. And if those tests are positive, then they work on um, really navigating the system with that patient to get them into a colonoscopy with um, the least impact on their schedule or their life as possible. That's interesting. So you shared with us that at least for colonoscopy screenings, that there's an inverse relationship from, I think what you said is how far you live from a, I think 
you summarize it as maybe a major health provider. So where you would yeah. go to actually get the colonoscopy to your home to the actual rate of screening. So the further you live, the less likely you are to undergo the colonoscopy. Is that yes. the message? Okay, but then you said that that's, that's not true everywhere, that there are some rural clinics, some rural areas that seem to be doing better than others regarding colorectal cancer screening. So let me, is that, is that also true? Yes. Yeah. So the first, the first relationship we discovered within our own healthcare system, where the majority, 80 to 85% of our um, patients are screened by colonoscopy, that seems to be the method of choice that our primary care providers are, um, are kind of discussing with patients. But I'm wondering what, because there are, we have seen across Wisconsin and other healthcare systems that there are multiple rural clinics that are doing very well at screening over 80% of their patients, their approach to screening may be different. So they might not be really pushing colonoscopy as the first um, colon cancer screening method. Maybe they're having different conversations with their patients. And so that's what we're hoping to find um, with the next study that I am uh, engaging in that's funded by the American Cancer Society. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, it it's so interesting to think that some clinics may have realized that some of the barriers around colonoscopy are prohibitive. And, and you indicated just some, some choices that you might see in a rural area, like it may be just too hard to take two, two days off work for both the prep and the the exam and the recovery that's involved in the colonoscopy. So maybe some of these other mechanisms, some of these other testing strategies work better. But I guess before we dive into that a little further, that that's fantastic that some rural health systems are having these really high, I mean, 80 to 85% screening, that's fantastic. But does that screening correlate to better outcomes as well in these communities? Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. So that's what we don't know for sure yet. So that will be part of what we will be looking at with our research. However, um, there are studies that have been published that show in general, um, when you compare rural to urban areas, there is a higher incidence of colorectal cancer and higher mortality in rural areas compared to urban areas um, and even within racial and ethnic groups. So if you're white and you live in a rural area, you have a higher incidence of colorectal cancer than if you're white living in an urban area. Same thing with African-American and Hispanics. So um, there is a, a significant impact in, as far as incidence and mortality of colorectal cancer also with living in rural areas. So your expectation then is that the rural areas where you're seeing these high screening rates, you are also going to, as an outcome, or see better outcomes because you will hopefully find have early detection, earlier intervention, and the, the, the much better outcomes we see when we are able to detect colorectal cancer at, at early stages. Yes, that is exactly what we're hoping to show and prove. <laughs> Okay, so this is a this is a complicated space. So talk to us. So this is so interesting to me. So your research then is focused on understanding the why, right? The why of why some of these health systems, the clinics and populations that are in rural areas um, are having 
seemingly a much more successful outcome with their screening approach um, than others. And and part of your goal is to figure out what is this approach. So um, how are how are you doing this research? This is a this is a big space. We'd be I think really fascinated to hear what you and your team are up to. Sure. Yeah. So one of the one of the major things that we found with our actually my American Cancer Society um, kind of mentored research scholar grant, which was looking at within my own institution, um, was that providers who had very high screening rates were the ones who were the most capable of identifying multiple barriers um, to colon cancer screening at all levels of the healthcare system, at the system level, the clinic level, the provider level, the patient level. And we think it's because they were the ones who are the most actively engaged in the process of colorectal cancer screening with their patients. And they've been able to identify what things are barriers and they've been able to identify um, facilitators that help overcome those barriers. Um, and so based on that idea, that's where we decided, you know, we can't just take what we've learned from this large academic institution and take all of the interventions that worked here and just tell another healthcare system or healthcare, different healthcare setting, you should do this and implement it this way and it will work. And we know that that's not necessarily the, the truth. But what we can take from is this lesson that we learned where the high performers are the ones that have a lot of really great insight into how to um, increase screening. And so that's why we wanted to look at all of the rural clinics in uh, the prime, kind of the mid upper Midwest and start first with the clinics that are doing really well and have conversations with them. So we are doing a quantitative analysis um, with data that we're going to get from surveys, um, as well as electronic health records to look at lots of different variables that might um, be associated with screening rates. But we also are going to do what we call qualitative research, where we really go out to these high performing clinics and interview and speak with um, primary care providers, clinic staff, people that work um, in the clinic and even patients um, to get an idea of what's really happening on the ground that is really working well for them. There, It's unbelievable the things that you will come up with just from these conversations that you cannot get from a survey or from looking in the electronic health record. And we want to find innovative ways that these clinics are increasing their screening rates and then be able to help translate them and disseminate them to the lower performing rural clinics. So Jennifer, as you put together your proposal and started to generate preliminary data, were there conversations that you had that led you kind of down this train of thought where you were like, holy moly, this is so innovative. I never would have thought of this and I really want to learn more. Yes. So we have um, a lot of people who are interested in just presenting information about colorectal cancer screening to patients and and trying to get them to uh, to get screened and know about screening. And the way we go about presenting that information, I think a lot of people know it has to be culturally appropriate and linguistically appropriate. However, in one of the rural clinics that we talked to, um, they said that one of their approaches was to send out the information in a format where it actually looked um, almost like it was kind of an auction for um, for cattle and for uh, for animals and in a way that would grab the farmer's attention so that they paid attention to it um, in the mail as opposed to just a flat regular flyer from your uh, your doctor's office. 
Okay, that is, I wouldn't have thought of that. You're right. That's, but, but nor do I live in the upper Midwest, right? So, you know, I, I'm in Atlanta. We would send out something about peach trees or, you know, who knows, right? I mean, right. but that, that's fascinating to think that it just literally has to, to catch someone's eye. So tell us, what do you, what do you hope to learn? So I, I hope to learn things like that, stories that are showing and highlighting really innovative ways that rural clinics are increasing their colon cancer rates. Um, because I, I think that the lower performing rural clinics will be able to more easily adapt and implement the interventions from higher performing rural clinics than, uh, than taking interventions from large academic health centers and trying to fit them in like a, a square peg in a round hole. Um, and I'm hoping that we will also find not just um, innovative ways for rural um, communities, but also for uh, populations within those rural communities that are historically um, have low screening rates. So maybe migrant farm workers, um, predominantly Spanish speaking um, individuals, even within a rural area and see if there's there's innovative ways to reach those populations compared to what we're doing in urban areas. Yeah, it's mind blowing how, and this is not a new space for us at, from academe, but it is fairly mind blowing how we will have an observation that works in one community and one population and make the assumption that it'll work for everyone everywhere. So I really applaud you and your, your colleagues to make the much more appropriate assumption that it will be easier for one rural community and population and system to adopt what's working in another community that is community and population and health system that is similar. Yes. So that's Yes, it. that's exactly it. And then our ultimate goal is to create a toolkit that where we can showcase examples of what is being done in these um, rural settings. And the, uh, the group that I do research with, the UW Health Innovation Program, um, we have created a number of toolkits that are publicly available on, um, on the Health Innovation Program website. It's called hipexchange.org, and it's available to anyone, public, um, private sector, anybody who wants to look and, um, and download any toolkits for a number of different options. Uh, and, and diseases and another uh, number of different uh, healthcare delivery processes. So that is where we are hoping to kind of bring together the culmination of all the things that we learn from this research. Yeah, I'm wondering in your preliminary research, did you talk to any of the, you said you talked to the really high performing centers who were really knocking it out of the park as far as colorectal cancer screenings and had these numbers in the 80 percentile, um, which is incredible. And it is our goal for everyone. Did you talk to any of the lower performing systems just to see were there any differences or challenges that they faced that were quite different? Or were they just, you know, were you able to pick up patterns of implementations that they were trying to make that were quite different? Not yet. So that is good. That is the focus of the current research study. So we will be reaching out to the lower performing um, clinics to do the interviews and um, talk to their uh, primary care providers and their clinic staff as part of the uh, data gathering. 
Okay, fantastic. So it's a comparison between what's working and what's not working and trying to draw some parallels and some differences between those two groups. Yes. And we also want to identify um, primary care clinics that may not have a very high uh, colorectal cancer screening rate overall, but that have done very well for a particular um, group of patients, such as individuals who are Hispanic or uh, Medicaid are primarily insured with Medicaid. Um, so yeah, so we want to be able to identify high performers and lower performers with respect to multiple different um, populations. Yeah, that's a great point because you you could have a best practice that is really working well for one group of people and not working for another that everyone can learn from. So that's that's a fantastic idea. So I we've had a great conversation and you've mentioned so many times that a lot of your previous work and this current study has been funded by the American Cancer Society, which we are big fans of yours and so excited. <laughs> about what you're doing. So I, I think our listeners would be interested to know are, at the end of the day, what gaps would you hope that this research could fill in our understanding of colorectal cancer screening? So I think the biggest gap is that I want to show how colorectal cancer screening is happening um, differently in different areas and that it's still possible to reach high screening rates in all different populations and in all different um, healthcare settings, which you know I was kind of inspired by the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable goal of 80% in every community. So really kind of pulling out every community of patients, where whether it's where you live or a community based on your race, ethnicity, we are, there are different ways to screen in different groups. And I wanna showcase how that's being done to make it more um, more attainable across you know across the country and other states, things that can be adapted and applicable um, to other healthcare settings. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The the eighty percent is a goal of the American Cancer Society as well, as you know. And I think that it's one thing to have a goal and another thing to have a route to get there. So we're we're so thrilled that you're a part of this of this effort by the ACS. So is there one piece of this that you're the most excited about or that you're like, I cannot wait till we get this data? I think that would be fun for us to know. The most exciting thing for me, I think, is going to be actually having these conversations with the providers and the patients and the, the clinic staff that work at these rural clinics. Because uh, like I said, there's, you know, there's only so much you can get from looking at the electronic health record and from sending out a survey and getting written responses back. But I think there's there is a lot that you can learn by just having that conversation. So I'm I was very excited to actually go there in person <laughs> to, to visit all these clinics. And I'm still Still hoping that we're going to be able to do that. Um, but I am also with COVID and everybody doing a lot of things virtually, I think that we also will be able to do, potentially be able to interview more people and more clinics because we can do things with, um, with Zoom and WebEx and Skype and things like that. So that's what I'm really excited about is learning from the people. Yeah. And I bet they'll be so excited to talk to you because I'm wondering if anyone has ever asked them what, what they've done that's allowed them to be so successful. Yeah. And I think that the other, the other thing is people like to be 
um, noticed for what they're doing and showcased for what they're doing well. And not only that, but we've we've shown that we can learn a lot from the people who are doing well and that you you don't have to be punitive. You don't have to focus only on the people who have lower screening rates and say, why aren't you doing this? Why, why aren't you getting your people screened? What is happening? When really it's, hey, we have people, we have clinics that look kind of like yours, patients that are are slightly similar. This is what they're doing. Have, do you think this might work in your clinic? And if you've already tried to do it, what, where, where were you having difficulty implementing this? And maybe we can even make um, networks and relationships, form some relationships between these higher performing and lower performing rural clinics where they can help each other. Yeah, you can see a couple years down the road, these cool partnerships where maybe you have a, a clinic that's knocking it out of the park in three areas, but maybe not with a specific population. And you pair them with a clinic that's struggling in, in several areas, but is doing really well in one particular population. I mean, what a great, what a great partnership to make. So yeah, that's, that's just fantastic. I can't wait to talk to you again and, and hear some of these fun outcomes. And to know that you're making an incredible difference. I mean, the, the we started this podcast with this quote of this is um, such a preventable cancer. And we have so far to go in really helping people to um, use the strategies that we know work. So kudos to you and your team. Thank you. All right. One last question. And that is that we have a lot of listeners who um, have had a cancer experience. Either they are patients or survivors or caregivers. Is there a message that you would like to share with this group? Yeah. So as March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Um, so I guess what I would really like to say is how important it is to talk about um, your experience and your medical history with your family members. Um, I do truly believe that knowledge is power and that if you can let family members know about your experience and your history, that that will help them um, get on board with colorectal cancer screening themselves and also figure out when they need to start um, their colon cancer screening. Because based on, on that person's age, their relative might need to start sooner than 45. And that's a conversation that they'll have to have with their primary care provider, but they won't know to have it if they don't, if they're not armed with that history from their family. Ah, it's a, a great note to end on. And I think it, it helps us to understand our, the personal responsibility that we all have either to be asking our family members or to be sharing if we, if we've had an experience that we know our family members need to know about. So Thank you, Jennifer. We're yeah. so grateful for you and all you're doing. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for having me today.